We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Amen. Okay, well, uh, are you guys already there? 2 Kings chapter 13. Really, really good uh, chapter. And uh, we learned so many lessons um, in looking at the life of uh, Jehoahaz and all the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Because look what we read in verse 1. It says, In the 23rd year of Joash, uh, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 17 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. And, you know, I don't know, I, I know this sounds almost sacrilegious, but, you know, you watch soap operas and you kind of see the lives of people, right? And as we're going through the Old Testament, uh, First and Second Kings, uh, not that it's unnecessary drama, but there's a lot of drama. And we're just watching their lives. God's just, uh, by His Holy Spirit, recording things that they have gone through, that they've done some victories, some defeats. But it's here for a purpose. It's here definitely so we would not make the same mistakes, so that we would not engage in the same sins, so that we would learn lessons from not necessarily their lips always, but in this time, their lives, their lives. And we look at all the different kings of the northern kingdom. We look at the kings of the southern kingdom. Right here, the, the year is 820 B.C., as Jehoahaz, he's the son of Jehu, he begins his reign, and it's in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, notice the synopsis there in verse 2. It says, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He followed the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin by establishing calf worship as the nation's official religion 113 years earlier. Think about that. Remember when the kingdom divided under uh, Solomon and uh, his son Rehoboam wasn't willing to show grace to the people and therefore there was a divided kingdom and so the northern kingdom went with Jeroboam and what ended up happening was he was worried that they would go back down to the temple, back down to the southern kingdom. So what did he do? He established his own religion. And he uh, said, hey, there's a, a calf here. You can worship up in Dan and then in the southern part of the nation. And what he did was he caused Israel to sin by establishing that false religion. And, you know, to me, it's a lesson for us. Uh, of course, uh, beware of idolatry. Beware of worshiping anything other than the true, real, loving, living God. The calf, uh, he said this is the Lord, but it, it wasn't the Lord. It was an idol. It was an image. It was clearly forbidden in the pages of Scripture. And in our lives, we have to make sure that we put nothing before the Lord. You know, and what we find is that God is teaching us lessons. See, another thing that I think as a side note here is that just think about this. After 113 years, his sin is still affecting and infecting other people. 
you know. And God, I, I, I pray he would make it clear to us that our lives will affect others. And that's the thing that we got to know. It's going to affect others for generations to come, possibly. I mean, for good or bad. And so God help us to know, you know, that we have to live this life. May God give us the grace to live a life that would actually affect and infect people for righteousness, not wickedness, for for good and not bad. In one sense, Jeroboam is the evil influence. And in one sense, David is symbolic of a good influence. What about your life? How will your life affect those around you and your children and your grandchildren and the generations to come? How will our lives affect them? We see that no man lives unto himself. We affect others. And here we see Jeroboam, even 113 years later, is still mentioned as the one responsible for influencing the people of Israel for bad. And so we have a choice. You know, which will I be? What kind of influence? You know, as we go through our text here in Second Kings, uh, I noticed, uh, uh, and I, you guys know I'm kind of weird, right? <laughs> but um, there's a, a lot of words that begin with the, the, the letter D. Okay, so let me just say that here. And um, the first one is there in verse 2. Uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. But here, here's what it says. He did not depart from them. He did not depart from them. You see, and here's the thing. We all sin. We all sin. We, we all blow it. We all fall short. But the key is this, that when God shows you that sin... When God puts his finger on it, when the Holy Spirit exposes it and speaks to it, you know it's wrong. We must depart from that sin. See, and the Holy Spirit here says this guy, you know, he did not, he did not depart from them. Jehoahaz did not depart from his sin. You know, keep in mind, you guys, Christians, God's word to us over in 2 Timothy 2 verse 19, it says, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of Christ, let him depart from iniquity. You know, if you're coming to church, and again, I'm not talking about stumbling. I'm talking about insistent, persistent, consistent sin. I'm talking about those who, you know, you, you know, where the Lord's dealing with you, and you know it's wrong, but you're continuing in doing it. See, this is the category that Jehovah has found himself in. And I really want to exhort you, I want to encourage you, I want to warn you to depart from that sin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. It says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out many demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, if we refuse to depart from sin in this life today, then Jesus will command us to depart from him forever on that day. That's how important it is that we do our best to depart from sin. You know, a lot of times it just kind of, you know, we start playing with it and it just grows like this monster in our lives. And that's why we have to flee 
sin. You know, one guy, Jeremy Taylor, he said, a man is first startled by sin, then it becomes pleasing, then easy, then delightful, then frequent, then habitual, then confirmed. The man is impenitent, then obstinate, and then he is damned. And so, God help us. We're Christians. We're set apart. We're to be holy. We are to depart from sin. Jehoahaz, he did not depart. And and so we read in verse 3, Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, all their days. Another word beginning with the letter D. Explicit in our text is that heartbreaking word we read there in verse 3, how God delivered, he delivered them into the hand of the kings of Syria. You know, and, and you know, explicit, delivered, implicit is the word discipline, you know. And, you know, to me it's heartbreaking. They were God's people, but he disciplined them. How many days? All their days. Isn't that, a, isn't that crazy? But that's what ends up happening, you guys. The Lord will discipline us. Why? Because he loves us, right? Watch, if you go over to Hebrews 12, a familiar passage. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. Because the Hebrews, they were going through some hard times. And it was a combination of things. Part of it was because they were going back to religion. And so they were being persecuted as Christians but there is something else to it. There was also an element of God within that sprinkling his discipline upon them because they were going backwards and not forwards. And so in verse 5, he says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. And where it says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Now, what does despise mean? Despise doesn't mean hate. Despise means to think light of. So here's God giving us a trancaso, right? He, he's disciplining us, and we're like not paying attention. You know, there are some kids like that, and sometimes they have that just that stubbornness within them. How many of you had, you had kids, you spanked them, and they, they didn't even cry? They're like, I'm not going to cry. Yeah, man. You know, and they're just like hardness of heart. And then you have to sock them in the face. No, I'm just joking. You don't do that. <laughs> totally joking. Make sure you take that off the CD. But you know... <laughs> I mean, I mean, the Lord, sometimes people are in the middle and they don't even realize it. They're oblivious to it. They despise the chastening of the Lord. Think little of it. Here they are being, you know, spanked by God and they don't even notice. They don't even care. They don't even realize it. And so he's saying, my son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. I mean, sometimes and rebuke is a little different. Rebuke is when you tell somebody, hey, you're off. Hey, get right. Sometimes people, when they hear that word of correction, for some reason, it just kind of it deflates their, their, their heart. No, no, don't let it do that. Because look at the, the motive, verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. You know, if you see me one day, and I'm, you know, giving a, 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 a when I was, my kids were small, a little boy, a little, uh, you know, right there, on the on that place where there's padding, right, um, with a little 
with a little rod. That shows he's my son. That shows he's my son. And when God disciplines in us in, in our life, it shows that we're his sons. And it shows us an expression because not all fathers discipline their children. It shows us that he loves us. And so that's what he's trying to do in our life. He's trying to modify our behavior. He's trying to change our heart. He's trying to get our attention. Right? He says in verse 7, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and, and, you're, and you're not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, here's why, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Man, that's what God wants to do. You know, and I guess I like the way it's described in the sense that God is just trying to make us like Jesus. Now, and that's the greatest goal of all. You know, not whatever it is that you think it is, making a lot of money, building a big church, or whatever it might be, buying a house. Not that. The goal of life is to be like Christ, to be like Jesus, to be partakers of his holiness, to be conformed into his image. Because then when that happens in my life, then God is going to work in me, God's going to work through me, and God is going to be glorified, and people are going to be blessed. And so, you know, this chastening, uh, you know, it's so important. It's so important for us to learn from it. Uh, and it's not easy. It says in verse 11, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now not everybody learns, huh? Not everybody grows. Some people, it's just it's crazy. They just keep ramming their head against that brick wall. They never change. It's insanity. They keep doing the same thing. Nothing's different. Their prayer life's not different. Their church attendance is not different. Their heart is not different. When they pray, when they worship, nothing's different. They're not changing. Even though God loves them so much, He's trying to modify our lives and to make us more like his son. Now, you can look at that, and I don't know how you see that, but you know, when I think, and I think a lot of you guys are kind of along the same lines with me, you're like, man, I'm a knucklehead. You know, I'm weak. I'm, you know, everything bad about me. I, I look at myself, I look in that mirror, and I don't see a lot of potential. I don't see a, any good, but I believe what the Bible says, that God can make me like Jesus. And so I want to pay attention. I want to find out why I'm going through what I'm going through and what is it. I mean, you, you spank your kids for a reason. What did they do? You know, he socked his little sister, okay? So, you know, the, you hit him, you, you know, with love. You explain to him, don't sock your little sister anymore. And so what should that boy do? Don't sock your sister anymore, right? Why is God disciplining you? What is it? What is it that needs correction? 
the Lord will tell you he will never spank you without telling you why. That would be cruel, right? Wouldn't you say, imagine if you go and you hit your kid. <laughs> Don't tell him why. He'll arrest you for that, man. <laughs> See, God will tell us why. And we need to be trained by it. So, so don't be all bummed out. Look at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, you know, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated. But I like this word, but rather healed. Man, God wants to heal us. Don't be all bummed out. Don't be all discouraged because whatever it is that you're going through, you're like, man, I don't like this. God says, it's all part of my plan. I'm, I'm conforming you into my son, and I want to heal you. And so back in, in 2 Kings 13, that's what the Lord was doing with his people. He was disciplining them. And it's important that we know the value of discipline. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And so we read in verse 4, Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, because the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. You know, they... They're delivered into the hands of Syria, uh, a number of kings. And what, is, what did they do? It's cool to read about what this guy did. Jehoahaz, he pleaded. He pleaded with the Lord. He prayed. And, and we're reminded of the amazing grace and compassion of our God. When we find ourselves in those difficult situations and we've been delivered to discipline, what do we do? Well, we got to pray. We've got to pray. You know, you get down with your family. And I know it might be challenging at times, but you get everybody down on their knees. You get them all down on their knees. And you're like, well, my kids won't do it. You tell your kids, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Unless there's something wrong with your knees, you get down on your knees. And you start praying together as a family. God, deliver us. You find yourselves in rough situations, and we do. I do. I mean, I have, we have hard times. We have very difficult times. And we're not praying. A lot of times, people aren't really praying. And, you know, we, here he's, he's pleading, he's praying. And God, God answers. The Lord listened to him. And the Lord saw what was going on. Notice again there in verse 4, it says, uh, Jehoaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. Why? Primarily because he saw the oppression of Israel. The king of Syria oppressed them. And maybe the king of Syria is oppressing you. It could be a demon. It could be a host of demons that are oppressing you. What can you do? You can pray. You know, and we'll pray for you, and that's cool. You know, because we need to bear one another's burdens. But you can pray. And God will do a great work. 
I like that scripture in Isaiah 26, verse 16. It says, Lord, in trouble they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. And I like that. We, we pour out a prayer when, our, when his chastening is upon us. And, you know, you read through the Bible and you see the children of Israel, they did this many times in the book of Judges. God, you know, did this many times. You know, it was a cycle. If you remember the book of Judges, they would, you know, fall into disobedience and then they would experience God's discipline and they would find themselves in despair at the bottom and then God would deliver them. And it was a cycle of disobedience, discipline, despair and deliver. And God is so gracious in that. As a matter of fact, seven times we read in the book of Judges how they cried out to the Lord. You see, the type of prayer that will deliver us is not some you know, casual, lackadaisical, once-in-a-while type of prayer that lacks faith. It's the prayer that cries out to God. And, and then God, in his grace, he'll, he'll deliver us. Because he sees what's going on, you know. When I read this right here, I'm reminded of what happened to the children of Israel in the land of Egypt and how the Lord, remember when they were in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years and they were there and finally, it took 400 years, but finally, man, their prayers came to the point of they were cries. They were crying out to the Lord. And there you see in his compassion how God cared. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, when God speaks to Moses and God comes down and God appears to him in the burning bush, the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, and as we find ourselves in that place, God sees, God hears, God knows, and we cry out, we pray, then God will send a deliverer to you. God will come. Jesus will come. God will send a Moses. God will do the work. But we must cry out to God. And he sees what's going on in his compassion and God wants to do that work. Jehoaz pleaded and he prayed. And the Lord gave him that another word that starts with a D. God gave him gave him a, a deliverer, right? He gave him a deliverer there in verse four. And we don't know who that deliverer is. Some people believe it's Elisha. We don't know it. The Bible doesn't say. As a matter of fact, the last forty five years of Elisha's ministry, we don't have anything about it except for when he dies, we're gonna see in the latter portion of this chapter. But undoubtedly, he was used by God, right? Some say it was Elisha. Others say it was the Assyrians who were beginning to conquer the Syrians. Again, we don't know for sure, but we do know this, that it was, it was the Lord, right? And the Lord delivered them. They then escaped from under the hands of the Syrians. And notice what it says right there, again in verse 5, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. You know, other translations say that they were able to go home. And that's the message. That's the message. You know, by God's grace, 
when they pleaded and prayed, they were brought, they were allowed to go home to where they belonged. That was their land. That was their home. That's where they belonged. They didn't belong with the Syrians. And when they prayed and pleaded, God then brought them home. You know, I'm reminded of that movie. You guys ever see that movie, Wizard of Oz? It's no place like home, right? <laughs> it's got to click those slippers, right? <laughs> no, you got to pray to the Lord. And when I think of someone that's not at home, I think of the prodigal son who's out there in Luke chapter 15. He says, hey, give me my inheritance. It doesn't matter to me if you're dead or alive. I got one thing on my mind, and that's me. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to party. I'm going to do my own thing. Right? And he went out there. And what did he do? He found that that life is completely empty. You're not going to serve the Lord. Where are you going to go? You know, the Lord told these guys as people started not understanding Jesus and his ministry and the calling, you know, people started leaving. And so what ends up happening is the Lord looked at Peter and he said, are you going to leave too? You know, and Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? I'm going to go have fun. Yeah, how long will that last? And how much damage will that do? Where are you going to go? I'm going to go find a boyfriend or a girlfriend or riches or fame. Where, it'll, it'll bring emptiness to your life. Where are you going to go? And you go away, and the prodigal son, you went away until finally one day, what ends up happening is if you don't want God in your life, then he will honor your decision. And without God, you will sink. Without God, you will be destroyed. If in his mercy and grace, one day you find yourself there lying in the gutter and you come to your senses like the prodigal did, the son did when he was there eating, you know, the the same food that the pigs ate, then he just he came to his senses and he says, you know what? I can just go back home. I can go back home and, and, and you know, just be a servant with my father. I'm sure, you know, he's got uh, something for me. And when he went home, he had lost nothing. God restored him. God put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. He put a robe on him. He killed the fatted calf. And he said, not my servant. He said, my son has returned. God ran to him. See, and that's what we need. to. I don't know. You know, sometimes you get people and they're way out there. Maybe you're tonight. You're way out there. I've learned even in the church, people, you think they got it all together. They, a lot of times, they don't. They're so far away, you would never even realize it. But they are. So you learn that even in a congregation like this, that there might be some of you here that are just so far away. And God just loves you so much. He's just trying to reason with you. Come back. Come back home to where you belong. That's what happened. God wanted to minister to them. They pleaded, and God brought them back home, and they were able to dwell in their tents as before. God is so good, so loving. But here's the thing, you guys. We need to not only yearn for that love, but we need to learn from that love. After all that God had done, Look what we read next in verse 6. It says, Nevertheless, 
They did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin, but walked in them. And the wooden image also remained in Samaria. For he left of the army of Jehoahaz only fifty horsemen, ten chariots, and ten thousand foot soldiers. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. Now the acts, the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash his son reigned in his place. After all that, you know, the Lord, he brought them home. He brought them back to where they belonged. He blessed them again. It was an opportunity for them to fall in love with the Lord again and to get right and to learn from his grace and compassion. But some of the saddest words you'll read in the Bible, nevertheless, there's that word again, they did not depart from the sins. They didn't change. They didn't depart. They continued to worship the image of the calf. And if that wasn't enough, it talks about the wooden image there. And that wooden image is a reference to Asherah, a Canaanite goddess, a fertility goddess. She was considered many things, the mother of Baal, whose worship was concentrated there in that area. According to ancient mythology, Asherah, the mother goddess, was the wife of Al, mother of 70 gods, of whom Baal was the most famous. She was represented by a limbless tree that was planted in the ground, and the trunk was usually carved into a symbolic representation of the goddess. I even read one uh, caption that said that she was known as the Bride of Yahweh, Queen of Heaven. Others refer to her as the Moon God. But worship of Asherah was noted for its sensuality and involved ritual prostitution. And how many times do you see sexual sin in the church? And there is Asherah once again. Looks a little different. You may not see that wooden image, but it's the same demonic God that's being worshipped. You know, and we see this. Uh, other words that start with a D. Forgive me for this, man. You know, um, the, the word destroyed, it stands out. That's not a good word. The word dust, man. He made them like dust. You know, that that doesn't sound good, huh? <laughs> you know, and these are God's people. It's just, it's just crazy. And, and, and maybe there's even one word that's not in the text explicitly, but implicitly there's the word the, the word death. This guy died. It says right there, Jehoaz rested with his fathers. That's a nice way of saying he died. He died and he was judged. You know, one day we're all going to die. We have to get ready for that day when we stand before the Lord. Are we right with him? You know, for those of you who are Christians, praise God, we don't have to be afraid to die. But if you're not right with the Lord... You should be afraid. And you got to get right. You got to submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Right? And you got to give your life to Him. So important to be ready to die. And the Bible says in Hebrews 9 27, and is it appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And so, there's no reincarnation. You know, some people believe in reincarnation. One day I'm going to. You know, and come back as a butterfly or whatever, you know. No, you die once 
and you're going to stand before the Lord. And so, you know, we learn from these guys right here. And this guy's life spills over into his uh, son in verse 10 in the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah. Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, became king over Israel and Samaria. And he reigned 16 years. And here's his synopsis. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart. There's that word again. From all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, but walked. I mean, this guy walked in them, right? Now, the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did and his might with which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash rested with his fathers, and then Jeroboam sat on his throne, and this would be Jeroboam the second, and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now, we don't read a, a whole lot about this guy. Uh, we're going to read more about him, actually, in chapter 14, when he does battle with the kings of Judah. And we'll see him even a little later in this chapter. But, again, there's that synopsis. And, and you know, one other thing, and I, I mention it every once in a while, because we read this as we go through the kings, the evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, we can't hide our sin. You can hide it from me. You can hide it from your parents. You can hide it from your you know, brother, your sister, your friends. You can hide it from everybody, but you cannot hide your sin from God. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so we got to live in the presence of the Lord, you know, Every once in a while, I'll mess up with my wife or I'll say something that's wrong. And then the Lord reminds me I was there. And I'm like, oh, that's right, huh, Lord? Did you hear that? No, you didn't hear that, did you? I whispered it. I thought it. God says, it doesn't matter. I, I hear everything. I see everything. Nothing's hidden from his sight. And I think it would help us so much if we had that in the forefront of our heart. You know, God watches over us to take care of us, true. But all God also watches over us to keep us holy. And so this guy dies. Uh, God is just, you know, reaching out to him in his life, however. Because we get like a little snapshot of what happened. Look at verse 14. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. And then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and, and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. And so he took himself a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And so he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. And then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. And then he said, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Now we come to a real interesting story about 
the death of Elisha. He's about to die, but before he dies, a really, really cool interaction that he has with the king that we just read about, uh, Joash. And uh, in looking at the life of Elisha, you know, you guys, what a difference he made. Um, the king even identifies him there in, uh, in verse 14 as the chariots of Israel. Then one man as the chariots of Israel. If you remember reading chapter 6 and chapter 7 about how God through him delivered the Syrian army and surrounded them there in Samaria. And when the we hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.